Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. This is the California Report. Good morning. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. California is lifting its requirement for either proof of vaccination or a recent negative COVID-19 test at larger indoor events of more than a thousand people. Starting April 1st, that requirement will turn into a strong recommendation for things like concerts, athletic competitions, and conventions. Event operators are still being urged to screen guests. Starting this Wednesday, students in the state's largest school district should have the option of not wearing masks while indoors. LA Unified School District officials have reached a tentative agreement with United Teachers Los Angeles on the new policy after the union dropped its requirement that a certain percentage of students and staff be vaccinated against COVID-19. The plan is expected to be approved by teachers today. The district will continue weekly testing of students and staff for COVID-19 through the remainder of the school year. Year, although both sides have agreed to reevaluate the testing plan next month. A handful of school districts across the state have kept indoor mask rules in place, including Oakland and Sacramento City Unified. Staying with schools in Sacramento, the Sacramento City Teachers Association plans to meet with school district officials today as the two sides try to avoid a strike. The union representing teachers has set a strike date for this Wednesday. They argue that the biggest issue right now is staffing. Shortages during the pandemic have left thousands of students without a regular teacher in their classroom every day. David Fisher is president of the Sacramento City Teachers Association. He spoke to KCRA-TV in Sacramento. We talk all the time about um, our district doesn't have a budget problem, it has a priority problem. They're giving the superintendent repeated lucrative raises while claiming they don't have the money to pay teachers. There are also about 600 students on the wait list for independent study and at least 14 teaching vacancies for the program. Fisher says a strike is a last resort, but it's necessary for the students and what he calls a crisis going on in schools. Speaking at a recent emergency meeting, Sacramento School Board President Christina Pritchett said she's hoping the sides can reach some agreement at the bargaining table. I want to emphasize our concern and compassion for the students in our district who lose valuable time in the classroom if a strike takes place. Our families will suffer from uncertainty and lack of stability in the event that our schools are forced to close due to strikes. Along with pay and benefits, teachers in the district are also at odds over COVID-19 related issues. Sacramento City Unified serves more than 40,000 students on 75 campuses. 
Because of the drought, the State Water Project says it's once again cutting water allocations to its urban and rural users from 15% of normal levels to just 5%. The State Water Project provides water to 27 million Californians, water that's used for everything from irrigating crops to bathing and drinking. The cut in allocation means Californians will probably once again be urged to conserve water, but we haven't been doing such a great job on that front, despite calls from Governor Gavin Newsom last year for a 15% reduction in water usage, conservation levels haven't come close to that. And in January, there was actually an uptick in urban water use. Researchers say that the Southwest U.S. is experiencing its driest period in 1,200 years. Hi, I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. Native American tribes in California may be able to buy back their ancestral lands if a new budget proposal by Governor Gavin Newsom is approved by the state legislature. On Friday, Newsom proposed providing as much as $100 million to tribes to help them buy and preserve land. This is partly a response to climate change and Newsom's goal of preserving one-third of California's land and coastal waters by the year 2030. Dr. Lenada Warjack is a longtime Native American activist with the Shoshone Bannock tribe. She says if ancestral land is returned, there will definitely be healing not only of the people but of the land itself because of the the harm and the damage, the pollution and everything that has happened to the land. But one potential problem, say Native American leaders, is different tribes having competing claims to the same parcels of land. As the state heads into what could be another dangerous wildfire season, there's a big problem, a shortage of firefighters to battle the blazes. The San Francisco Chronicle reports that the number of U.S. Forest Service firefighters has declined by 20% in the state since 2019. Isaac Sanchez with CAL FIRE, the state's firefighting agency, says he's also worried about a shortage of firefighter paramedics in California. Sanchez says strained staffing takes a physical and mental toll on firefighters. Some places run 14, 15, 16 calls a day. It can certainly, um, you know, grind on people. But in the context of 
of these large destructive wildland fires. Uh, that well-being thing is still a concern. Sanchez says fewer paramedics are coming out of training programs and low compensation and grueling working conditions make recruitment difficult. This weekend, Stanford basketball player Fran Belibi became the third woman ever to dunk in the NCAA tournament. The second person to do that is now WNBA star Brittany Griner, who is currently jailed in Russia after being accused of smuggling hashish oil into the country, something that could carry up to a 10-year prison sentence. As we hear from KQED's Sarah Hosseini, the 31-year-old player's detention was just extended until at least May. Greiner is a black lesbian woman, and she's being detained in a country where that identity could put her at risk of violating laws hostile to LGBTQ folks. So far, though, the Phoenix Mercury Center's detention has not gotten much attention. Those familiar with the issue say that might be a deliberate effort by her family and the U.S. government to minimize her usefulness as a political pawn. Imani Rupert Gordon is the executive director of the National Center for Lesbian Rights, based in San Francisco. She's careful not to comment on the specifics of Griner's case, but she says her case does force us to reflect on bigger picture issues, like why a top women's athlete like Griner has to spend her winters playing for Russian teams in the first place. If she made more during her season, she actually might not be over there right now. And so I think that's an interesting thing to think about. But also, I think it's really important to name that right now we are seeing don't say gay bills that would erase stories like this. Rupert Gordon says Florida's recent law and others like it render LGBTQ perspectives and people like Reiner invisible. And she says that hurts everyone. All these people whose histories aren't being shared in our schools, we all need to hear that. We may, it makes us all better. And it allows us to learn from the mistakes that have been made in the past and not to recreate them. Very little is known about Greiner's current circumstances. On Thursday, a Moscow-area court told Russia's state news agency that Greiner will remain in custody for at least another two months. For the California Report, I'm Sarah Hosseini. For the rest of the show, let's turn to criminal justice and one person under fire. When George Gascon was sworn in as district attorney of Los Angeles County in December of 2020, he promised to fix what he said was a broken criminal justice system that often victimized poor black and Latino defendants without making the public any safer. Los Angeles is a poster child for the failed tough on crime approach. The status quo hasn't made us safer. Gascon's remedy was a sweeping package of criminal justice reforms that emphasized rehabilitation over punishment. But after a spike in Los Angeles homicides last year and public concerns about crime remaining high, a campaign to recall Gascon from office has gathered steam in recent weeks, with more civic leaders calling for his ouster. And one recall leader used to have George Gascon's job. So before anything else, just introduce yourself. Steve Cooley, former Los Angeles County District Attorney, 2000 to 2012. Now 10 years out of office, this former Los Angeles County DA is one of the co-chairs of the Recall Gascon campaign. I want George Gascon to be replaced as district attorney because he is functionally, with his policies, endangering the public. Uh, He does that through his um, many, many directives that basically show great empathy and sympathy for criminals, especially violent and serious criminals, murderers. 
But Gascon's defenders argue that people like Steve Cooley are bent on turning L.A. County's current DA into a soft-on-crime stereotype, one that ignores big parts of Gascon's biography. D.A. Gascon spent 30 years as a police officer, 30 years in LAPD. This is somebody who's given more of his life to public safety than almost any of us. That's Christine Soto DeBerry, executive director of the Prosecutors Alliance of California, which supports progressive district attorneys. DeBerry believes the campaign to unseat Gascon is part of a larger effort by right-wing and law enforcement groups to stop long-overdue reforms to the criminal justice system, reforms that are being made by a new breed of progressive DAs. Well, I think there's vested interests, right? Uh, a big majority of the funds coming into these campaigns are from police associations, police lobbying money. And they have an approach that's both uh, based in their political beliefs, but also the benefit of having a large police force, a large jail system, a large probation system. All of those things create jobs for members uh, and continue their political power in the state. And they're adamantly opposed to reform. They have been for decades. Every time a reform comes forward, they haven't seen one they like. Supporters of Gascon's recall have until July 6th to gather well over half a million signatures to qualify a recall measure for the ballot. An earlier effort to recall L.A.'s DA failed last year. Steve Cooley is unsparing in his criticism of that effort. They were amateurs. They didn't really know what they were doing in the big scheme of things. Uh, and they were off to the races with a lot of enthusiasm, no money, poor leadership, and it played out in them failing to secure enough signatures. But Cooley says this time the recall effort is better organized and funded, with $3.5 million in its campaign war chest so far. And Cooley says the recall campaign also benefits from public anxiety about safety that he predicts will generate voter support from areas of L.A. County that traditionally haven't worried as much about crime. I think you're going to need across-the-board individuals that feel this is directly affecting me. And I fear for my children, my family, my neighborhood, my community, and to a certain extent, my county. Meanwhile, Gascon and his allies are fighting back. When the DA marked his first anniversary in office, more than a dozen progressive district attorneys from across the country joined Gascon for a press conference. Each DA came to the microphone to praise Gascon's reform efforts. Then Gascon spoke, directing some comments to his critics. Rather than turning every tragedy into a political football and blame game, I ask that those people please join us. We can do better. We will go further if we all work together. But even some of Gascon's allies feel that the DA has been flat-footed in explaining his reforms to the people of L.A. County, threatening to lose his case for changes in the court of public opinion. Those that are against the reforms have taken a narrative and they're steering it the way that they want. Sam Lewis is the executive director of L.A.'s Anti-Recidivism Coalition, which fights to end mass incarceration in California. A former inmate himself who benefited from rehabilitation programs, Lewis says Gascon needs to find people who can talk in personal terms about the toll the criminal justice system has taken on poor people of color. I would suggest using surrogates like myself. People that have gone through our criminal justice system and, and, and have righted their moral compass in many instances, not because of the system, but despite the system. And you didn't have to keep them in prison for 300 years. 
But perhaps sensing a change in public attitudes, Gascon appears to be retreating from some past positions. He now says that in some cases, he'll consider prosecuting juveniles accused of especially heinous crimes as adults and seek life sentences for some defendants without the possibility of parole. Gascon vowed to ban those practices when he was elected. And that is the California Report for Monday, March 21st. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez. Thanks so much for listening and have a great day. Support for the California Report comes from Stanford Healthcare, alerting listeners to the critical blood shortage in the area. Now's the time to donate blood and make a difference. StanfordBloodCenter.org. The Wesley Foundation, investing in California's underserved youth, and Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy harnesses the power of people and science to create innovative solutions for a healthy environment, just societies, and opportunities for human achievement. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast.